This is episode number three of the Podcast Method. I'm Dan Benjamin. Man, thank you guys again for sending so many awesome questions and interacting with me so much on Twitter uh, and, and emailing. It is so encouraging because this is a show I've really, really wanted to do. And you know, anytime I, I, I do a new show, and I, I think this is probably the same for most people, anytime you start something new, you think, how can I make this awesome? You know, what can I do to to make this thing a success? And half the time, or in my case, more than half the time, it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, but just knowing that this show is helping some people a little bit makes me really, really happy. So please keep the questions coming. If I don't answer your question here, or if you want me to answer it here, uh, you've got to tweet it to me. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. And when you do it, use the hashtag podcast method, one word, and uh, and I'll see it. And I have a long list here. It's growing. I'm just trying to keep up. But thank you to everybody who has uh, who has asked those questions. Thank you to everybody who's rating this show on iTunes. I wanted to talk a little bit more about why that's important on this episode. I also wanted to talk a little bit about sponsorships and, and doing ad reads uh, and how important those things are and some stories that go along with that. Because these are things, these are kinds of big topics that I get asked a whole lot there's so much mystery surrounding how iTunes works and also sponsorships. Those are sort of the two big topics that I'm kind of uh, thinking about as I get all of these uh, questions coming in. Of course, I'm also going to jump in and answer some specific questions uh, that people have asked on Twitter. Uh, but I just want to say thanks again to everybody who's uh, rating the show on iTunes and also to the folks who are supporting me and and stuff we do at 5x5 on Patreon uh, that's a, another good topic maybe for next uh, week's show, uh, talking about ways that you can get support besides sponsorship. Uh, but if uh, if you are supporting us or if you'd like to support us on Patreon, it really does help uh, it, it tremendously. Uh, that's at patreon.com slash five by five. So uh, on previous shows, I have talked about how you – in your simple, straightforward podcast studio, probably in your closet or in your spare bedroom or in your attic, uh, how you can record a show with guests on it. And I said there's uh, there's basically two ways to do this. You sit there talking into your microphone that you're recording your end and your remote host or your friend, whoever records their end, and you use something like Skype or FaceTime to talk to each other, or you can record it all on your end. And to do that, uh, usually you use software like uh, Ecamm Call Recorder. Uh, that's a, a really good one. Uh, another one that you can use is uh, Audio Hijack Pro. Uh, you can also get a fancy and get a mixer and a second Mac and things like that. Lots of different ways to do it. But a few people have asked me questions exactly about that. Um, I, I, I'm not the best with names. I'm going to do my best. Peter Bulanow says, I use Ecamm Call Recorder, but my guests' recording levels are compressed and maybe clipped, perhaps due to Skype. This is something that uh, I hear a lot, and this is absolutely 100% uh, the, the, the case, is that the level of the person that you're talking to, uh, those levels, will be different than your own levels. And if you think about the reason why, it, it's actually kind of obvious. You're talking into probably a pretty good mic. It's plugged directly into your computer. Uh, through an audio interface or if it's a USB mic right into the computer literally and the quality is going to be great because there's nothing to get in the way of that and then you're talking to somebody and we're relying on Skype which 
is an absolutely amazing, wonderful technology that sometimes works. And, uh, and when it works, it works really well. And when it doesn't, you don't get the best audio quality from the other side. We have tried everything here over the years. And when I say everything, like if you were to Google uh, audio, voiceover, IP, you know, communications, if there is a technology out there, we've tried it. We've installed our own servers. We've run, done uh, voiceover IP systems. We've used uh, Jabber. We've done everything. And at the end of the day, Skype is going to give you the, the, at least in our experience with all of our testing from people all over the world, it, it's the best. It is the currently the best solution out there. Uh, it has the widest dynamic range, which means it's going to get uh, as much of the other person's voice as, as possible. Uh, FaceTime, Apple's FaceTime, does get close. And, uh, and, and it's something that I think if you're working with other people who are on uh, Apple uh, devices as well, it's worth trying. Uh, but generally, in our experience, Skype is, is a more universal and in many cases a more reliable uh, situation. So then why... Would Peter's uh, guest not sound as good as him? There's so many reasons why. And without really knowing Peter, without really knowing your setup, uh, it, it's tough to say your guest or your, your co-host, maybe they're not talking into as good of a mic as you are. Maybe uh, something's going wrong on their end. Maybe Skype is clipping or cutting out. All of those things are absolutely possible. And again, without like sitting there on each individual session and saying, oh, I think I know what's going on. But... That's actually beside the point. What can you, as the person who's making the podcast, do to eliminate that problem or at least improve the end result? There are a lot of things, and that's where we go back into editing. Uh, when I've talked about not using editing as a crutch, I'm, I'm talking about editing for content so that you're not, uh, you're not saying, ah, we'll edit this out, we'll move this to the beginning, or that was a funny joke, we should open with that. I'm, I'm not talking about that kind of editing. I'm talking about making sure everybody's audio levels uh, are good, applying the correct compression, like Jim explained on the last episode, uh, doing some EQ. And EQ is a little bit easier than compression. You just listen to it and tweak the settings in the EQ until it sounds good. That's really all you want to do. Just make it sound good. Uh, there aren't really as many rules when it comes to EQ as uh, as there are with uh, with compression. It's not as tough to understand. Most of us have messed around with EQ on our stereos. Uh, you can mess around with EQ in your editing application and see if that helps. You also frequently will want to bring up the levels a little bit of your guest. Typically, you'll be louder than the guest will be. So you want to either lower your level, which I'm not a big fan of, or boost the level, uh, the gain, the volume, if you will, of your, uh, your remote host in order to make it a, uh, a more balanced sound. There's nothing worse than having... The host who sounds great in front of their awesome microphone and then the guest who's over here talking like this. The worst. It's a, it makes for a, a show that's really tough to listen to. So trying to balance those things out in your audio editor, very, very uh, important. And that's an extra step. Now, um, Peter also uses the term clipping. Um, first of all, he says, asks if Skype does compression. Skype absolutely does compression, uh, especially... Uh, if it's a mobile device is involved because like when you make a phone call on your, uh, on your smartphone, it's automatically doing gain adjustment and automatically doing compression uh, whenever you make that phone call. Most people don't know that. And if you ever see somebody sort of shouting, you know, holding their phone like a, like a pizza slice and shouting into it, 
your phone is actually working hard to lower your volume. And if you're talking quietly into the phone, it will do its best to sort of boost the volume. That's, that's what a phone will do. Well, Skype is doing the same thing. It is trying to sort of compress the voice and uh, do auto gain control. So something that you can do in Skype in the audio settings, newer versions of Skype, you can uncheck the little box that says auto gain control. You turn that off. And what that says is Skype, don't try to be smart. Don't try to change, minimize, or maximize the volume and the gain uh, of my call. And, and the caller, of course, should do this too. That will allow the, the true signal to come across, and, and you may notice some improvements with that. So that's something that, uh, that you can try. Virginia Roberts, big 5x5 uh, big five five fan there. She says uh, she wants to do some call-in shows. She's always tripping over uh, people when she talks, when, when she calls in. I know she's called into one of my shows before a number of times, and, and this can happen. Uh, it's, it's tricky because sometimes, again, with Skype and uh, with the way that the calls work, you can step on your, uh, your guests uh, talking a little bit. You sort of step on each other, and that's no good. Again, how do you fix that? You fix that uh, with editing. You, you can do your best to edit that part out because I consider that to be something that is a, that's a problem. That's a technical issue uh, that you can fix as opposed to, you know, removing some important part of the conversation. That's tricky because you can't see the other person that you're talking to unless you run video. And frequently people will turn off the Skype video because they want to save bandwidth. They want the audio quality to be the best that it can be. So you can't always tell, has the other person paused? Are they waiting for you to reply? Are they still there? Uh, This is where technology is. So we've just got to make the most of it. And, you know, if... If somebody says something and you, you know, you talk over each other, drop a marker or make a note of the time and say, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? And usually they're happy to do it uh, and then just edit that part out. It makes for a much more listenable show. T. Adam Martin says, Dan, what mic do you recommend for live on-site recordings? Thinking of taking my show on the road. Well, I have uh, two suggestions for you, depending on what exactly your setup is. Uh, when, you, when I think of going on the road, I kind of think of two different scenarios. One is it's like a show, right, where you've got a stage and you've got some mic set up and maybe a mixer and things like that. And then what I, what, what I feel like uh, T. Adam is really asking is I want to kind of go somewhere and just record something with someone. I'm not sure which. He didn't get into specifics, but I think both of those are interesting scenarios. Both of those are, uh, are good questions that I can try to answer. Again, uh, oh, and I have recommended in the past the H4N. Everyone's telling me don't recommend the H4N. Recommend the H5 uh, uh, handy recorder. Uh, so I have that in the show notes as well. By the way, show notes can be found at 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash three. That's where the notes and links for all the stuff that I'm uh, talking about will be. Uh, but what this, this little device lets you do, it records to flash, and it's got two microphones in it uh, right out the front, which typically you just record as like a stereo, and you can record it as a WAV file or an MP3. This little thing by itself, you just hold it and talk into it, and it works almost like an old-fashioned tape recorder. You'd hold it up to the person and they talk, or you put it, you hold it in between the two of you and you talk toward it. And it does a great job of recording. If you want to uh, do a little bit better of, of a job than that, 
here's where the microphone can come in. You can actually plug two microphones right into the H5 or the H4N if you want to get one of the older ones. Uh, and the, the microphone that I recommend for that is the Shure SM58. I mentioned this before, that microphone is sort of the definitive, uh, you know, when, when you think of a microphone in your head, it's that. That's what people on stage would use. It's a wonderful mic. It's a dynamic mic. It's going to pick up what someone right in front of it says and not too much of the background noise, handy at conferences, handy at concerts. Uh, it, it, it's, it's really good in that way. You're not going to get the same kind of quality of audio that you would get in a studio with a studio-level mic. But it's a great microphone, and I think it's about 100 bucks. So if you're serious about this, get the H5, get one or two of those microphones. And I had somebody else ask me, oh, I got the H5, like you said, uh, but the audio levels on it were, were really low, and the interview didn't work. Well, first of all, if you get equipment, uh, practice with it a lot first. Get really, really familiar with it. Try it in different situations. Try talking into the microphone at different uh, different angles, on, off, on axis, off axis. Hold it up to your friend and say, talk into this and see how they hold it. And, and that way can anticipate how it might be if in a real world interview. But the other thing is uh, the H5 and the H4N has a gain setting. So you have to navigate through the kind of quirky menu that it has, but turn up the gain and, uh, and record and play it back until you know that the gain uh, levels uh, are going to be where you want them to be. Very important to do that ahead of time and get to know your equipment. And so that when you go and do that interview, that you know you're, you're going to be capturing uh, what was actually said. Super, super important. Eric who's at Eric the Geek on Twitter, says, how do I promote a new podcast so others find it? What's the best way to convince guests to come on? So this is actually a couple questions in one, and this is going to be a really good lead-in to the iTunes uh, conversation that I wanted to have. Uh, Basically, uh, what's the best, let me take the second part first. What's the best way to convince a guest to come on? Well, when you look back at the, one of the first interview shows that, that I did, which is called The Pipeline, I wanted to have great guests on there. You know, it, this was a kind of a geek-focused show, so I wanted to have designers and developers and writers and people like that. And a lot of them were, were you know, I was shooting for some, some big names. This was five, six years ago, and, you know, I wanted to get people like Jeffrey Zeldman and Andy Anatko and uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and Jason Fried and people like that that were a really big deal in this field, in this industry. How would I entice these people to come on this nobody's uh, interview show and uh, and spend an hour out of their very busy day uh, when, keep in mind, like podcasting was not a thing five or six years ago the way it is now. And, um, you know, they, they very much were doing me a favor by coming on my show and I knew it and they knew it. So how would I get them to do it? Well, all you need, uh, is one guest. You don't need uh, 20. You just need one. And here's what I mean. You get the first guest. So let's, let's say I asked Jeffrey Zeldman. Kind of, he was kind of a, he is and was kind of a big deal. You say, and I knew him. I said, Jeffrey, I'm doing this new interview show. Please, 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 please let me interview. And he said, oh, sure, of course, Dan. I'm happy to do that. Because we were friends and, uh, and, and I'd worked with him. And so I had a feeling he would say yes. So ask the person that you have a feeling will say yes first. Then he committed. He said yes. Before I even did the interview with him, before I even launched a show and did the interview, I started going to the other people and I would say, 
I'm launching this new podcast. Here's what it's called. Here's what we're going to talk about. And uh, you will join the ranks of some amazing hosts or guests uh, such as Jeffrey Zeldman. And then as soon as the second person said, yo, sure, I'll, I'll be, I'll be on that show. Then the next email I would send out to Andy and Notco, I'd say, oh, I've got Jeffrey Zeldman. I've got Jason Freed. Uh, Andy, would you consider being on the show? Andy says, yes. See, it's the same thing with like VC and investment and that kind of thing. Nobody wants to be first, uh, but everybody else will be second, third, fourth, fifth. That's no problem. Well, you just need to, to go to somebody uh, who, uh, who you feel will say yes. And ask them. And if you don't know anybody, if you don't have a Jeffrey Zeldman, you can ask the people that you would love to have and just tell them, tell them, be completely honest. Tell them what you do. I'm doing this show. I would really love to have you as a guest. I'm a huge fan of your work. Uh, Would you consider spending a few minutes talking to me uh, for this show? The worst they can do is say no. If you don't ask, then they can't say no. And that's something that uh, people so often forget is... You've got to ask, and half the time if you ask, they'll, they'll say, yeah, sure, I, I can do that. Now, the second half of Eric's question, how do I promote a new podcast so others find it? Uh, I've mentioned this and talked about this in regards to iTunes, and still, iTunes is the best way to, for people to find new shows, and it comes through ratings and reviews. That is just, it, it's a fact. Most podcast clients and apps uh, still use the iTunes store uh, its listing of podcasts as uh, at least in part as a way for them to get their recommendations as a way for them to help find shows and get them get them in there so it's very important that you submit your show to iTunes it's very important that you tell everybody about it in whatever channels you have whether that's Twitter or Facebook or email your friends um, help people uh, have have those people help you spread the word and talk about it and then go in and rate the show. Listen, if you're doing a show that has 100 listeners, let's say 100 listeners, tell those people how important it is for them to rate it. Ask them, please beg them to rate it. Please rate the show on iTunes. You don't even have to write a review, but do it if you have time. Uh, and that's so true for this show. I think I haven't, I haven't checked, but I think we're up to like 50 or so reviews. But it, or, uh, or ratings and uh, a couple dozen reviews, that is so important, so important to the success of a show. Uh, if you want my show, this one that you're listening to right now to succeed and you haven't rated it, please rate it. But do the same thing for, uh, for the other shows that you like too because that's the best way to help promote it. Some people would say, well, I don't, you know, I don't use iTunes. I don't like iTunes. I don't want to use iTunes. Well, the fact is that's, that's kind of the center of the universe still right now uh, for uh, getting shows out there uh, and, and helping get them promoted. It just is the way it is. So do whatever you can do to encourage your listeners and say, listen, help me. Help me get it out there uh, because that's the number one way uh, to do it. So with that in mind, how does iTunes work? How do shows wind up getting in new and noteworthy? How do shows wind up you know, in, in those lists of number one podcast or number one episode of a podcast, it all seems very mysterious. And and the truth is it it is very mysterious. Um, this is the second or now coming on third week that this show podcast method has been in new and noteworthy for all of iTunes. That's a big deal. Uh, and I'm not saying this because I'm proud of myself. I'm I mean, you know, I'm saying this because you guys are the ones that put it there. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean when I say you guys are the ones that put it there? Well, 
um, when a new show comes out, you know, and keep in mind, there's lots of shows coming out all the time. When people start subscribing to it in iTunes, rating it and subscribing to it, those are the things that help get it noticed and put into new and noteworthy. Um, downloads and subscriptions through iTunes are what will help it get into that position, into that place. It's critical. So I've had people email me or, or ask me on Twitter, and they've said, oh, um, you know, I, I only use, and I'll, I'll just say, Instacast. Uh, if I subscribe in Instacast, does that help with the iTunes thing? And my response is, first of all, thank you for listening. Uh, I don't really care uh, where you subscribe to it, as long as you subscribe to it and enjoy it. That's all that I ever care about. So thank you for doing that. But the second thing I'll say is uh, subscribing in Instacast, it may, or or Downcast, or Pocketcast, or over Overcast, whatever application you like to use, it may help the show within the context of that particular podcast app and uh, the people who use it. Very good. But it won't help in regards to iTunes. Uh, there are still people uh, who use iTunes and, and the uh, podcast app on their iOS device, so they will benefit from it uh, in that way. But it's, it's actually launching iTunes and going there and doing the review. That's, that's the key. That's the secret uh, sauce. And that will trickle down to most, if not all, of the other podcast apps and, and clients out there because iTunes still plays so heavily. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, but those subscriptions, those ratings, those downloads, if you were to go to the show and hit play, if you were to go to the show and hit subscribe, if you were to go to the show and rate it or review it, the amount of times that that happens, uh, especially over a shorter period of time, that is what's going to boost those shows in the rankings. And to be honest, that's what's going to keep them there. The more people who find it that way and play it that way and keep it there. Uh, do Now, one other per, there's another question uh, people should know about downloads and tracking. And I, I say this once in a while because I think there are still people out there who don't know. iTunes does not host... Uh, the, the shows for us as podcast creators. We have to host them ourselves on our own servers or using a CDN or on Squarespace or wherever they live. We're responsible for that. iTunes simply is a pointer to those files. So when someone hits play in iTunes, iTunes is tracking that for us and doing a stat, but they're not hosting the file and sending it the way that they host, you know, iOS apps that you download or the way they host movies and things like that. Podcasts are always on the, the, uh, the podcasters own servers or infrastructure or wherever they're, they're hosting it. So I think there's most people I think know that by now, but uh, not, not everyone. So it's worth, it's worth mentioning. Uh, Now, before I get into a couple other questions that are here, there is a topic that I wanted to bring up and that topic is sponsorship and advertisers. Now I will talk a lot more about that in an upcoming episode of this show, talking more about how to work with a sponsor, how to get their business, how to keep their business, how to make your uh, make your uh, podcast appealing to a sponsor. That's not for today's show. Uh, but one thing I do want to talk about is the importance of doing an ad read. I, you know, I remember I, this was at the LA Podcast Festival, and I was um, I had a panel. Uh, that I was uh, that I was leading, 
And we had a few other people, great people up on this panel. One of them was one of the main people who does the, the buying for Squarespace. And it's, you know, it's almost a, a funny thing. Squarespace sponsors every podcast. Well, they do probably sponsor more podcasts than, than anyone else. They've been incredibly helpful to us at 5 by 5 over the years in sponsoring all of our stuff. And, and I use Squarespace like I was using them before they were a sponsor. Um, but he said something that was blew me away. The fact that he, he said it at all, but that he said it up on this stage, he said to me, he said, Dan, you actually do the best ad reads for us, uh, that, that out of all of the shows that we sponsor, I was blown away. I was speechless. I didn't know what to say. Uh, but it meant a lot. And I think the reason, uh, that, that people, uh, sponsors like the way that I do the ad reads is because I try to never sound like I'm reading uh, the script. And typically if you're working with a sponsor, they'll send you either a script or some bullet points or something like that. And uh, my goal has always been to familiarize myself as much as possible with the sponsor. If it's a product or service that I use or already use, there's a good chance I already know a lot about it. There's a good chance that I can add a lot if I were just to talk about it. So, uh, and if, if I don't know about the product, if I haven't used it, uh, then obviously I, w- I will only say I use this product if I actually use it. So that's one of my rules. I will never, 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 never say, oh, I use this and I love it if I don't. How do I get around it? I just don't say that. So if the sponsor says, here's the script, well, I may, uh, I may try to do an impromptu version of the script, but I'm not going to say, oh, I'm, I use these guys. They're great. I'll never say that unless it's true. Um, now that said, I try to familiarize myself, even if it's a product or service that I don't use and don't know about until they show up and want to, you know, pay us to do a spot. I will then go back and familiarize myself. I will read the website. I will read reviews of their product. I will read what other people have to say about it. Yes, I will do that if they're paying a hundred dollars for show because I owe, because that's still a hundred dollars. If I don't do the absolute best job I can do on that read, they may never come back. Wouldn't you rather have, because in a way, they're your customers and your clients too, just like your listeners are. Wouldn't you rather them say, you did such a great read. I will tell you, uh, many times I've had smaller sponsors who, you know, they wanted to hear the, the spot on the show. They would listen to the show live and they would come back and they'd say, oh, I could, it was so exciting to hear our, our you know, product named on, on the radio on the show. Because... We're broadcasting it. We're making a show. They know lots of people listen. It's exciting to hear about this thing that you made or contributed to being talked about. And, and uh, you know, so, it, and that ad read is so, so important. And yeah, there's a bit of acting in the sense that you can't, and, and look, I'm going to do a sponsor uh, today because we've got one. It's MailChimp. They've probably been our longest consistently running sponsor at 5x5 since I started this thing back in 09. And, uh, and, and they're just, they've just been great. I've been using MailChimp for probably, you know, eight or nine years. And I can say that I've been, I remember back when newsletters were like, no one even cared about newsletters. Now newsletters are a big business, right? Well, I have in front of me right now a printed out. And why do I print them? I, 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 I don't know why. I could look at it on my screen. I've got a laptop right here too. Why do I print it? 
I, it makes it more real to me in a way um, because I don't like to look at a screen while, as if I can avoid it while I'm talking. Uh, I like holding it in my hand. I make notes on it. There's highlights on it, little bullet points and things. So what I have here is something that uh, we we sell ads for for all of our podcasts and also for a number of other podcasts outside of 5x5 and Hattie puts these together. And so this is a script that she's taken from MailChimp, worked with them on it, created the campaign and, uh, and, and she has uh, given me two versions of this here and I can choose between which one I want. At the top, it says bulleted read. And then on the bottom, it just says, you know, standard read. So I know that already because I've been using MailChimp for so long and I know so much about them that I can do uh, the, the bulleted read. I just need the points. What are the points that they want me to hit? So really, I'm improvising as much of this as I can. I'm, I'm trying. Ideally, I'm improvising the whole thing. And the way that I'm trying to tell someone about it is MailChimp is something that I like. And I think you should try it too because I think you would like it. So imagine you just saw your favorite uh, TV show right? Whatever that, whatever that is, uh, you know, house of cards, right? Whatever. You just got finished binge watching house of cards and you're like, Oh my God, this is the best show ever. I, Hey buddy, come here. Let me tell you about this show. Oh my God. Kevin Spacey's awesome. And now he's going to be the, and like you get excited about it, right? Get excited about your sponsors. That's where you're going to make your money. If you're doing a show to make money with the sponsors, I've had people on 5x5, hosts who are getting paid to do sponsorships of shows, read MailChimp.com means easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design email newsletters, share them on social networks. Come on. I've had 5x5 people do that. I have to, you know, go and shake them a little bit. Get excited, you know, because the, the sponsor wants you to be excited. That's why podcasts have endorsement style reads as opposed to just flat out commercials. They want the host of the show to be passionate about their product or service. Now, given not always possible, if you haven't used the product or service, if it's not really, you're not the target market, fine, right? Uh, But you can still care about it. You can still put that element of quality and caring into, uh, into that ad read. So how, how do I do that? Well, obviously, read this beforehand. Practice it a little bit. Get familiar with the product. You're reading something that's probably a script, right? But you don't have to read it exactly the way that it's printed out. You, you've got to get over your stage fright. It's so often I'll hear a podcaster who's talking like I'm talking to you right now, right? We're just talking, right? We're hanging out. We're talking like I'm here, you know, in my studio talking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking out the window at downtown Austin. I'm talking to the microphone. I got a glass of water here. I'm watching the levels to make sure that they're good. I've got the headphones on, right? Just like you. We're talking. So when I tell you about this, I'm not going to be like MailChimp.com. No, I'm going to tell you about MailChimp.com, easy email newsletters. What does that mean? These guys help you design email newsletters. And then once you've got this, you go out, you share them on the social networks. You integrate with the services that you're already using. And they've got an entire system built out that lets you track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. How does this work? I will explain it. You can customize your newsletter signup. It'll match your brand. You embed it right there on your website. They even have code that you can drop right into your Android app, into your iOS app. Boom, now it's part of the app. You ship it, people can sign up for your newsletter right there. 
How cool is that? Oh, you're at a trade show? You get your iPad? Boom. They can sign up right there on the iPad. You can import existing email lists no matter what the format is. You personalize what your subscribers see, all the sign-up forms, all the confirmation emails, and they have this cool thing called MailChimp Snap. This just launched, and it's currently positioned as an app for retailers, but it's good for anybody who wants to send quick photo-based emails. This is an awesome, awesome time to sign up for MailChimp because they have this thing called the Entrepreneur Plan. So if you have under 2,000 subscribers, you can send them 12,000 emails per month forever for free. And how cool is this? They made a special URL just for 5 by 5 It's MailChimp.com slash 5 by 5 Go there, check it out. And uh, by doing that, you will be supporting the show because they'll see that traffic. They'll see those signups and, uh, and they'll help keep this show going. So thanks very much to, uh, to MailChimp for making this show possible. MailChimp.com slash 5 by 5 That is an ad read. That is very different from what is printed on this paper that Hattie wrote for me. It's very different. But I'm very familiar with that material. So I would say about 50, 60%, maybe 70% of that is ad-libbed. Do, do, should you take that much time to become that familiar with your sponsor so that you can do a read like that where you're just kind of glancing? Yes, you should. Because these people have given you money. And you're building a product your podcast. You're also building your reputation. You want to be the, the podcaster who gives an amazing ad read to a company, regardless of how much money they're spending. I would do the same quality ad read if they were spending $50 as if they were spending $5,000. It does not matter. They get the same quality and that's how you have to treat it too. There's a company that wants to give you money for your show. You owe it to them to do the best possible read that you can. It's so important. If you're reading a script and you're reading it like it's printed, shame on you. Because you can do better. I know you can do better. So do better and, and practice. Practice these things. Oh, one more thing about advertisements on podcasts. Uh, a lot of people will say, oh, I do drop-in ads. I do the ads later and I drop them into the show. Uh, you know, I don't want to interrupt the flow uh, of the interview. I don't want to interrupt the guest. I don't want to change, you know, the dynamic by having to go to a sponsor break. Okay, those are valid points. I can totally see those points. However, I first of all, I think if if you treat it like a like a, a serious production, I think your guests will absolutely understand. Uh, I think that if you tell your guests, I have two sponsors. I'm going to do one at about 20 minutes in. I'm going to do one at about 40, 45 minutes in. Uh, so, at, at, you know, when we get to the point where I need to do one, um, I'll just, I'll just kind of say, okay, uh, before I ans- ask you that next question, let me tell you about our sponsor. It's MailChimp. They will not mind. You'll sound like a pro. Why is that better than doing it after and just dropping it in? There are two or three reasons why. Until you get really good at the podcasting thing or the broadcasting thing or the radio thing, you will find that your voice and the environment that you're in and the way that you were addressing the mic, all of these things change sometimes dramatically over a very short period of time. I've been doing this long enough now that I can get in front of the mic and you can play back my audio from today and it'll be the same as yesterday and a week before, maybe even months or or getting to the point where it's almost years before. If you listen to shows that I've done this month, my audio will generally sound the same. My voice will generally sound the same. And that's because I uh, I have been doing this a lot and I've practiced it a lot. But you'll be surprised how different 
your voice can sound. Um, when you start talking, especially if you're not used to it, uh, I can talk for hours, as you've noticed. I can talk for a long time without an interruption because I've been doing it so long. Your vocal cords will get uh, used to that. But if, you, if you're not used to that and you do a show that's 90 minutes long and then you go and do the ad spots, by the end of the show, you're going to sound kind of like this and you won't be the same. And then when you drop it in, it's like, oh, hang on, uh, Bill, I've got to go to my sponsor. Let me tell you about, you're not going to sound the same, right? You're going to sound different. Uh, so doing it in line with the show, it keeps the cadence, it keeps the same tone, it keeps the, uh, the, the, the quality uh, equal, and people will notice it. Uh, so I'm in favor of doing those uh, sponsorships in line during the show and not doing them as what we call drop-ins. Uh, sponsors, probably, if they're listening, will, will notice that too. So that's my advice. That leads actually to a really good question from Danny R., Danny R. says, do you practice your speaking as in enunciation? I don't anymore uh, because I have been doing this again for every day for five or six years. So the practice has come through doing it. And if you were to go back and listen to those earlier shows, you might, uh, you might hear a big difference. I'm much more comfortable now doing this every day. You'll become much more comfortable doing it a couple times a week or once a week or however often you do it. But you know, if, if you find, and again, this is why listening back to your show is so critical. It's so important. Listening back to your own show to say, oh man, I, I was reading that article and I was uh, skipping, I was going too fast. Uh, or, oh man, you couldn't even tell what I was saying there. Yeah, you, if you listen back and you hear that there are problems, you, you get feedback from other people. Yes, you can always improve. You can always do that. I have had, um, you know, over the years, many silly little idiosyncrasies in the way that I spoke that over time I've been able to correct or improve upon however you want to look at it. And uh, being able to do that has been very important because you know what? A lot of people will be listening to your show and a lot of those people might not be native English speakers, for example, or native to whatever your language is that you're podcasting in. And the more clear that you can be, uh, the better. You know, there's this funny thing that, uh, you know, that, uh, that I, I do on uh, Back to Work sometimes. It actually started by accident. One time uh, I was saying, you know, good morning to Merlin, and I kind of said good morning by mistake, good morning. And we made it, he, he immediately picked up on it, and uh, it became a joke. And little things like that, um, you know, the way you pronounce a certain word because you're from Jersey, you know, whatever it is, little things like that can just become a fun part of the show and, and, and nobody should take it too seriously. So if you're going to, uh, you know, focus on pronunciation and enunciation, uh, do it, but don't, don't sweat it. You know, this is uh, supposed to be fun. We'll take a couple more questions from Twitter. Joe Freeman, is it best to invest a limited budget on hardware like a mixer or software as in logic? Um, I'm a big fan of Logic. Uh, Logic is the most affordable professional level audio recording software that I have used. But you can get a lot done with GarageBand. That said, there's more audio processing and, and, and better editing in Logic than there is in something like GarageBand. But, and I don't know what kind of mic Joe Freeman has, but if you have multiple guests and you're recording those multiple guests in person or remotely through, you know, and you want to do that in the most effective way, a mixer of one kind or another 
is is going to be a really really uh, solid investment. Really, really, really important, solid investment. You, I, I have never talked to anybody who regretted getting a mixer. Uh, the mixer ups your game in a big way. And, I, and, and so for me, if my choice was between, I've got a couple, two, three microphones here or a, a microphone and two remote guests at the same time, uh, should I invest in Logic or should I invest in a mixer? I, I'm going to say a mixer. I'm assuming that you've got XLR style mics um, or, uh, you know, computers going into that and you need to send a minus mix back out. This is my assumption and why I'm giving you that answer. If in fact it's simply you're there and you're recording and you have one or two or three co-hosts who are also recording their own end, well, then don't bother with the, with the mixer. Only get the mixer if, if you're planning on doing that multi-track recording. And then you've got to get a multi-track recorder. Uh, don't get one that's a USB recorder because at best that will only give you a stereo mix. You want to capture each individual person, whether they're on a microphone or coming out of a computer plugged into the mixer, whatever. You want to capture each one of those tracks uh, uh, separately so that you can go in and EQ and compress and adjust the volume on each one of those. All things that you can do in, in GarageBand as well as Logic as well as Adobe. I mean, it, it's up to you. Uh, but... That's my now. If you're wondering what mixer, I still love the Mackie Onyx lines of uh, mixers. They're great. They're FireWire, uh, which can be adapted to Thunderbolt, and they the, uh, the the depending on how many tracks you need, there's a number of different uh, mixers that you can get. I'll put them in the show notes again. Show notes at five by five TV slash podcast method slash three, and uh, depending on how many hundreds you want to spend. Uh, you can get a mixer that will suit your needs. And they have very good resale value, too. Um, I've had mixers that are a number of years old. These things generally just last and last, and they're built tough, and they're heavy, and they're solid, meant to be used in a studio, you know? So if you take care of them and use them lightly, years later, you'll be able to sell them for a couple hundred bucks less than you paid. So it's it's a really good investment all around, and I highly recommend uh, getting a mixer if you're into that multi-track recording with multiple microphones, multiple guests going through that. BJ Nemeth asks, um, how important is a theme song to the opening or closing of a show? And he says, for example, the original talk show just began mid-conversation, but most 5x5 shows have theme songs. Is it worth the investment? Uh, what what we did on the, on the talk show and also um, pretty much on, on Back to Work uh, is what's called a, a cold open, much more so on the talk show where we would almost be mid-conversation by the time that you would uh, you would be hearing us. We would be starting, so what would you think of that uh, new iPhone, whatever, uh, as opposed to a show like this where you hear the music when the show starts and, and uh, closes out. What's the difference? Why do we do the theme song? Why do we do it at all? I I can't really give you a definitive answer as to why I like it, but the main, the, one of the main benefits of having music is that it kind of guides the listener into the feeling of the show. If you've got death metal versus, you know, something a little like a jazz or classical, you're going to get a very different feeling and vibe and it's going to set it up. The other thing that it does is it is a cue, perhaps even a Pavlovian cue of some kind to the listeners that, ah, the show is starting. Which show? That show. It becomes the theme song for that show. You listen to, to Grit, 
that's an amazing song uh, that like you hear that I hear that and like it gets me in the mood to do that show. I often will listen to the theme song before I start the show to set my mood because you, you, you know, you kind of want to know what, what you're doing. You kind of want to get that framework. And if you're just sitting in a studio that always looks the same, the music can be that cue. People love that kind of thing. I think it's absolutely worth the investment, but just keep in mind, it can get expensive. Um, if you find some pod safe music that you like, keep in mind that the license to use it on a show, in many cases, it's like, oh, this can be downloaded 5,000 times. But once people download it more than that, instead of being 39 bucks, it's 500 bucks for an unlimited license. So that, that can cost a lot of money. So yeah, be careful. But you can also crowdsource it. If you've got, uh, if you've got a good social network, reach out to people and say, hey, I, I'd like to pay somebody 50 bucks or 100 bucks to make music for this show. There are tons of tons of really, really talented independent artists out there who are making cool music, who just want their music to be heard, who are making nothing from it. They're doing it because it's fun. And I've reached out to a couple of those people over the years and said, I love what you're doing. Could you make us a song? And they'll be like, yeah, of course I'll make it. I don't even want you to pay me. Uh, we'll just do it for free. And uh, you know, you, you should pay them anyway. But that's, that's definitely something that, uh, that I think is important. I don't think it's mandatory. I think you can absolutely have a show that has no theme music. You probably don't need theme music. Another thing you can do is go into GarageBand and mess around and get a few of their canned beats and put a couple beats in and a little couple chord progressions. It'll take you 15 minutes. It'll be fun. And then you know what? When the show starts making real money, if it ever does, hire somebody or buy some Podsafe music. You can, you can get away with things like that if you really want music and don't want to pay for it. Uh, there's tons, and you can have fun in the process. Like if you haven't messed around in GarageBand and made songs, it's a lot of fun. It really is. It's really fun. One more question from uh, BJ. He says, uh, how, do you, how did you decide on what info to include in the standard repeated text that opens and closes each episode? And, uh, and I think this is a, a great question, and I'll end on this one. Uh, basically, it, 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 just like the music that he asked about, it is something that becomes a consistent way for your listeners to identify what it is that they're hearing. It's also a great way for new listeners to jump in. How hard is it for somebody who's never heard a show before, who doesn't really know what it's about, who maybe a friend told them to listen to it and they didn't want to bother reading the description, you know, to, to hear uh, what the show is when they are tuning into it for the first time or for the first time in a while. This is Grit, the show formerly known as Quit. It's about change, the challenges of improving your career, making tough decisions, and starting something awesome. That, that's the Grit intro, right? You hear that and you say, okay, you know what? I know what this show is about. I don't want to listen to it, right? Or, oh, that sounds interesting. I do want to listen to it. This is Amplified, an award-winning talk show about Apple, Mac, iPad, iPhone, iOS, guitars, amps, music, and recording. Get ready to rock because my friend and yours, Jim Dalrymple, is here today. That's interesting, right? Like you hear, you know, oh, okay, this is the show. You have to have something that I, I believe you should bring people into it. Now, what about this show? I don't really say very much at the beginning of this show, right? I'm not really telling people what it is uh, at all, you know? I'm Dan Benjamin. I'm here to answer your questions about podcasting and recording and audio video equipment. So yeah, maybe I'll do it one day. 
I kind of like the way that the show opens right now without that. Um, the show's name is Podcast Method. I'm hoping that kind of steers people in the right direction. But whereas with a show like Grid or Amplified, for example, it's it's going to be tougher to figure out what that is. And, you know, if, if people are just jumping in for the first time, give them that framework. Uh, we don't have the benefit of, you know, I was a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s. You know, you'd hear that Cheers music start up. You'd be, oh, it's Cheers, you know, like that was a thing, you know, you'd hear the Star Trek music come on and, and the intro monologue, like those things cue your brain. So if you have a way to cue your listener's brain that this experience that you're trying to create for them is starting, they'll appreciate it. So I think we'll end there. If you have questions for me, please ask them. Find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin. Use the hashtag podcast method, all one word. I will find it. I will see it. I will do my best to answer that question on, uh, on the next episode. You can also email me. You go to 5by5.tv slash contact. You can, uh, you can email me there through the podcast method link. I'd love to get your feedback either way. Twitter is more immediate. And, uh, and so check that out. Uh, if you haven't, please rate the show in iTunes. Now you know why. And please consider supporting this show and the other shows that I do uh, on Patreon. It's, uh, it, we release secret stuff to those folks first. Uh, we've got a bunch of cool things coming out there. And without the support of the, the Patreon people, uh, you're, the donors there, like there's a lot of shows we wouldn't even be able to do, including this one. So go to patreon.com slash 5 by 5 and uh, give me a buck, give me two bucks, whatever it is. It will be put to good use here at 5 by 5 and, uh, and I really appreciate you listening, and we'll be back next week. Have a good one.